Man, what an honor it is, Pastor and Miss Millie, to be able to stand here on this stage and, and honor you guys. Chuck is here, Pastor Farrell's uh, brother and his family. We love you guys and glad you are able to be here today. And Mr. Willard and Miss Shirley, good to see you guys as well. And thank you for participating, being in the video. Um, just, you know, it's, it's been an incredible journey. Uh, 20 of the 25 years I've been privileged to be a part of this journey with you and really grew up uh, in this church as just a little boy. I, I look at my wedding pictures and people ask me, were you 12 when you got married? But... Um, uh, it's just been, it's been wonderful uh, just to see what God has done and how he's used you in such a powerful way. Um, we did a top ten, and we thought we'd share that with you today, just a top ten things about Pastor Farrell. Um, one thing that Pastor taught me was to have fun and to be able to laugh at myself. You know, if you can't laugh at yourself, um, something's wrong. And I, I give myself plenty of opportunities to laugh at me. So... Uh, and for Pastor Farrell and the rest of the staff as well. So um, that's something that he's taught us. Number nine, he's taught us that pork skins are one of the four food groups. And uh, yes, if you're a dad here today, don't forget to pick one of these up on your way out. You know, I was looking at the nutritional value in a pork skin as I was getting this list together. And it says, uh, yeah, I've got to hold that down a little further, but... Um, Vitamin A, vitamin C, calcium, and iron, 0%. <laughs> Let me tell you what this is. This is comfort food, okay? So we just, uh, so I'll have to get two bags of that, Pastor, so maybe I can get it up a little bit. But um, pork skin's one of the four food groups. Your family is always first. Um, you know, I remember uh, when Pastor would take Wednesdays off, the boys had a banquet or they had a ball game or they had something going on. And that was back at the day when Pastor was preaching on Wednesdays in midweek service. And he said, uh, Pastor Andy, I'm not going to be able to be there. The boys got something going on and I got to be uh, at that event because I can't, can't miss that because I can't make that up. And uh, thank you for leading by that example. Uh, don't let people's doubts stop you from carrying out the vision that God's put on your heart. If God's given you a, a, a purpose and a vision and a plan, I remember, uh, Pastor, you telling me when I came and interviewed to be a part of the staff here, um, you know, you had shared with the church that if they could see what God had shown you, it would scare them to death, you know. And um, that, that, that dream and that vision that was, I'm sure, scary for you as well, you know, God is, is still continuing to fulfill that. And we believe wholeheartedly he is far, far from done. Um, number six, Chuck Taylors look good pretty much with anything. All right? You can wear them with anything. So if you don't have a pair of Chucks, uh, you pick some up because they look good all the way around. You got enough to share with Chuck. So there you go. Can you see what I did right there? No. <laughs> no matter how busy you are, Make time for others. No matter how busy life gets, take time for other people. Because God has put us here uh, for one another. All right? And a uh, great lesson that we have learned there. Never forget, number four, where you came from. Never forget. And we are so thankful for those that have gone before us that allow us to stand on this stage today. 
knowing that God has used them in a powerful way. But here's the exciting thing. Whether you've been here for 25 years, because some people have been here as long as pastors have been here. Some of us have been here 20 years. Some of us have been here 25 days. But we all have the opportunity to make an impact, a lasting impact on the lives of those that will follow behind us. So we need to remain faithful and never forget those who have blazed the trail. Don't live in the successes of the past when God wants to do even greater things in the future. And you have taught us valuable lessons in learning how to celebrate. We don't forget the wonderful things God's done in our lives, and we're very thankful for those things. But we also know that God has got us moving forward. And uh, if you know anything about living uh, any amount of time on this earth, you know it doesn't stand still. I look over at my family sitting behind Pastor Farrell today, and I've got a child that's almost 20 years old now. I know I can't have a child that old. There's no way. But um, it doesn't stand still. So, you know, we celebrate what God's done, and we celebrate what we know he's going to continue to do. Number two, don't be afraid to share your mistakes, as those can be some of your greatest ministry opportunities a uh, pastor has a real heart for reaching out to other churches and uh, giving them uh, the, the secrets to the success that we've had. And you know what the, the majority of what we share is? The majority are all the failures, the things we did wrong, the things that kept us in a place for an extended period of time. And we say, hey, look, don't do that. And we know that because we did it, <laughs> you know, and I appreciate that. And, and we don't we don't shirk from that. We don't run from that. And how many of you know that what you teach your children more times than not are your greatest mistakes, your biggest failures? And you're like, I want you to learn from those things. You're stern with them about some things because they were mistakes that you made uh, in the past. And then number one, be, be real and be, be relevant in, in, in what we do here, uh, you know, and, and you know, I, I had an opportunity to be with my mom last weekend um, down in Gainesville, Georgia. And my mom, uh, you know, her taste is not this flavor. But she loves the fact that it reaches people for Christ. And uh, we, one of her nurses was a young lady who goes to a church down in Lawrenceville, Georgia. And, and um, you know, just... I, I said, Mom, we need to watch this church and just, yeah, let's, let's see what they got going on. And so we turned it on, and I could tell, you know, she was like, well, that's good. It was a good message, you know. It's not my, not my thing. But when we left the hospital, she looked at me, and she said, you know what I love about the church that is reaching this young lady? Is that this girl's 20, 21 years old, and she is on fire. She is a nurse in the hospital, walking into our room, sharing Jesus with us. Is that not awesome? And so, uh, you know, we celebrate what God's done here, but we also celebrate what God's doing at, at faith, and we celebrate what God's doing at other churches in our community because we understand that God is using each and every one of us to make an impact and reach others. And so I just appreciate uh, what you've taught us there and and and. You know, pastor has been raw and real and open and honest and transparent when it, when it potentially could have cost a lot for him personally. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, another person would have said, man, I'm not going to allow my pride to let me share that. And he has stood openly 
on this stage and on that stage over there before we had this building and just shared his heart. And I tell you what it did, it brought hope to the rest of us saying, you know what, he's got stuff he's dealing with, I got my stuff I'm dealing with, he's making it and I bet I'll make it too. And what a great, great lesson. So, Pastor, there are many more than ten things that we could learn, but thank you so much for imparting what you've imparted to me. You're a great teacher. I've learned so very much uh, from being here. And um, at the end of the sermon, you can tell me whether or not I learned anything about communicating. We'll leave that one for the close. So, But we love you. One more time, Pastor Farrell, Miss Millie, can you give them a big round of applause? Now, I'll say this too. I said all that, but I want to say this. All the stuff we've done for him today is his least favorite stuff. He doesn't like that stuff. What he likes is us lifting up Jesus. What he likes is us pointing you to the reason he has known for 25 years the success he's known at this church. And it's all because of Jesus. It's all because he was obedient to him and trusted him and God worked through him in a powerful, powerful way. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look to Jesus and find out, especially not just for the dads, but fathers here on Father's Day. Um, I want to point you to Jesus, our young people, whether you are a dad, um, whether this is the first Father's Day maybe that you've had to spend without your dad, um, whether you're aspiring to be one day after you're married a dad, um, or maybe you're, you know, you're up in age and you're, you're not a father, you've never been a father, but I'm telling you, you've made a tremendous, tremendous impact on the lives of so many. Men, let me say this to you this morning. Our children, especially our boys and our girls alike, they need to know what a real man looks like. They need to understand in the day and age we live in that if God created you, a man, if he made you a boy and you grow up to be a man and you shave and all the stuff men do, I can't share all of it here, but if you grow up to be that, that's what you are. Be that. I'm going to tear this thing up now. I'm going to get excited in a minute. If you are a woman, God made you that way. He created you and knit you together in your mother's womb that way to be a woman. Be who God made you to be and then live that example in front of our young people because they're watching everything we're doing. And I refuse to celebrate all this stuff. We are going to celebrate God and we're going to celebrate that he made a man and a woman to be married to a man and a woman and to raise a family and to love them. And it's scary to clap to that, but that is the God of the Bible and that is how he made us. <laughs> I'm telling you. I almost untucked my shirt, but I was scared I'd knock the microphone off. I'm sweating like a pig up here. <laughs> my goodness, I see billboards with John Wayne on there. Right out here. I saw him this morning looking at me. What's up, Duke? You know? 
Good grief. Enough. I'm going to get off the soapbox. But men, we got to be men. Women, be a woman. And be the person God created you to be because we're going to look at it today. But the impact that you have the potential to make on your family is beyond your wildest imagination. There are many fathers in the Bible. And when we talk about fatherhood and we talk about what that looks like, we always look to the Bible because it's the standard. It is the thing that we stake our life on. And the Bible is our standard. We see Noah in the Bible. Jacob, David, Joseph, all of these amazing men of God. Look them up. But today I want us to look at Abraham, Father Abraham. Don't start singing the song. If you get up and turn around and shake your head and sit down, I'll know you went to vacation Bible school, okay? (laughs) He had many sons, but he was the father of the Jewish nation. And uh, he was a man of great faith and obedience to the will of God. His name actually means father of a multitude. That's what Abraham's name means. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, we've got this verse for you. It says that Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous. Not because his name was Abraham, not because of all these things that he did, but because of his faith in Christ. Mary Fairchild, we're not going to read all of this. Genesis chapters 12 through chapter 25, all in there you can read about the life of Abraham. We're going to get into that in a little more detail next week. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a 10,000 foot view right now. Um, but she gives an excellent overview of the life of Abraham. And I just want to share that with you. Um, he, he had great faith, but he also knew some great failures in his life. Uh, Abraham demonstrated great faith when God called him to leave the home of his father and mother. And he said, I want you to go to a land that I tell you, the land of Canaan. It was unknown to him. And Abraham did that with tremendous faith. He got up and said, I'm going to go, and I'm going to leave, and I'm going to to go to this place that God's called me. But then something happened after they made that journey. Uh, on, on On this journey, famine struck. And instead of having those eyes of faith, that remarkable faith that, that um, caused Abraham to get up and leave everything he knew, I, I liken it to uh, the, the guy that grew up in Nahana, right near the pork center, the, the, the Mecca of all things, uh, swine. And uh, to be there all your life and to know some of the best smelling stuff in the world my kids and I ride our bikes by the pork center sometimes and they smell it and say man those things stink terribly I said yes they do but when you're cooking bacon it don't smell nothing like that it's awesome but you're asked to move from the hunter and go to a place you've never known that takes great faith (laughs) but then that man of great faith sees this famine come, and he says, you know what? I'm not sure. I know God's able to move us here, move us there, but mm, we might need to do something a little different, God. So he moves his family. He takes them to a place of safety. He's thinking, man, I'm being proactive. Here's the only problem. 
That isn't where God told him to go. God told him to go to the land of Canaan. But he said, hmm, maybe I got, a, I got a better idea here, God. Maybe you didn't know that this was going to happen. You know, all that stuff we talked about, and I'm not getting back on that soapbox again, but everything I just mentioned a while ago. See, I've, I've, I've even had people question, do you think, you know, when the Bible was written, God, did he know what life was really going to be like in 2015? Let me tell you what happens when we divert from God's plan. Let's look at the life of Abraham. He sees this happen. He says, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this shift over here, and, and we're going to go, and I'm going to do it for the sake of my family. <clears throat> we're going to load up the station wagon, and we're going to Egypt. All right? They didn't have one of those, but just for emphasis. So once they were there, fearing for his life, Abraham lies about his wife, being his wife, and says, this is my sister. Because Pharaoh saw his wife and said, ooh la la. Well, Abraham knew if I am straightforward and tell him that I am her husband, I could lose my life. So I got a plan. Hey, go along with it, honey. You're my sister. Yeah, weird, right? I know. Um, you're my sister. I'm going to give you to Pharaoh. He's going to give us a bunch of gifts and stuff. It's all going to be good. I know it's hard to believe it happened, but it's right there in the Bible. Abraham did it. You're thinking one little road trip, one little deviation from where God said I'm supposed to be to where I decided was better for me, and here's what we got. I go from not only leaving uh, the promised land, uh, going down here to Egypt, because I'm trying to escape this famine that's going on in the land, now I'm having to lie about who I am, giving my wife to Pharaoh, but it doesn't stop there. All the women at this point can go, mm-hmm. In Genesis 16, at Sarah's encouragement, again, getting your eyes off of what God has for you, Abraham sleeps with Hagar, their maidservant. Because there had been the promise of a son, the son had not come. We can do something about that. We'll help God. So, hey, honey, by the way, go sleep with the maidservant. Let me just tell you guys something right now. If that ever happens to you in your life, she don't mean it. Don't do that unless you want to get hurt. Now, Sarah did, but then Sarah was jealous and all this stuff happened and so there's this big rigmarole this was not the son of promise so he makes all these mistakes because he's deviating from where God told him that he wanted him to be well then God returns to Abraham when he was 99 years old and he reminds him of the promise in Genesis chapter 21 and reinforces his covenant with Abraham and says I've promised you a son and I'm going to give you a son. Now we look at that and say, man, he messed up. He blew it. He did all these things wrong. But God still kept his promise. Man, that gives me great hope. Because I don't know about you, but I blow it. I don't know about you, but I mess up and make mistakes. On a, on a, I'm, I'm, I was going to say on a weekly basis, but my family's sitting here today. So I'm going to go ahead and be honest and say on a daily basis. All right? I mess up. And I blow it. 
He messed up and he blew it. And yet God came to him and said, I got you. I love you. I'm going to keep my promise to you. Trust me. And you're here today and you've blown it. And you've messed up. And you've made mistakes greater than you would like to admit. And God is here in this moment speaking to you, Dad. Speaking to you, um, man who is an influence in your community. And saying, you haven't gone so far that you're out of my grip. Just trust me. Put your hand in mine because I still got use for you. I still have a purpose for your life. Don't ever believe the lie that you've gone so far, God cannot use you anymore. If you can take a breath, he's got a plan if you'll trust him. So Abraham undergoes the greatest test after the birth of their child. Uh, that comes uh, nine months later. The biggest test comes in Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, God is given the promised son. And what happens? He gives the promised son. He says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. Now this time, all those other times, Abraham blows it. And this time, what does he do? He says, okay, you gave me a son. I was 100. My wife's 90. If you do that, I'm going to trust you here. I don't know what you're going to do. But one, I know you are the God of the resurrection. It, so if you have me go up there and you take his life, you're going to raise him back from the dead or two. You're going to provide that sacrifice, but I'm going to obey you. I cannot imagine how difficult that must have been. And what a beautiful picture of what our Heavenly Father did for us in sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. So He takes His Son up there who obeys Him fully. God intervenes and provides the necessary ram. See, the death of Isaac would have contradicted every promise that God had made to Abraham. So his willingness to perform the ultimate sacrifice of killing his son is probably the most strikingly dramatic example of faith and trust found in the entire Bible. I would hope that I could be that man. I don't know. But I know as I look at the life of Abraham and we see his life and, and the things that he's done, as I said just a moment ago, I see myself there. I see my frailty. I see the places where I've messed up and I've blown it. And I've had a fuse so short you couldn't even light it with a match because I was just, Ugh! and I know I'm the only dad that's ever been there. But, um, but I thank God that I've also known those times in my life where I've been able to walk in faith and trust and obedience the impatience, the fear, the tendency to lie, yes, that's been there as well. But I'm so thankful that in spite of that, God loves me. And I want to tell you something. He loves you too. So we learn from Abraham that God is faithful. And he will always keep his promises. 
In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That is a promise from God Almighty. He will never, ever leave us. And so if he's made you that promise, trust in the promise that he's made. In this life we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Our pastor and our pastor's wife walked through that last year. And with the greatest of strength that only comes from God walked through that and knew that God was not going to leave and not going to forsake. What a wonderful lesson that was for all of us to see you and your family go through that. So what's the point today? The point is that Abraham's life and the success that he knew, that Pastor Farrell's 25 years here at the bridge and the success that he's known had nothing to do with them but the object of their faith. It was who they trusted. It was who they put their faith in. It's the object of our faith, guys, that means everything. The year was 1970. It was the third trip That was to include a landing on the moon by the Apollo. But an explosion in one of the oxygen tanks not only precluded the lunar visit, but put the astronauts' lives in danger. Circling the moon and heading back to Earth, they needed to make a critical course correction. However, because of power failure, they couldn't use the onboard computer. So they would have to steer the craft manually. Astronaut Jim Lovell determined that if he would aim the capsule at a fixed point, he could manually steer the required 39-second rocket burst and thus make the necessary correction in trajectory and get home. The object that he focused on was that which brought life to himself And to his crew, he kept his fix on what he needed to keep his focus on. And they lived. And God is calling us today to keep our focus on the place that he intends us to keep our focus. Men, let me tell you something. Our children's lives depend on it. They do. See, when we think about bad behavior... Here's the biggest lie the enemy ever tells us. That ain't hurting nobody but me. I'm not doing anything to them. I'm not doing anything to, that over, to those over there. And this is just me. No, absolutely not. If Abraham had disobeyed God, if he had refused to follow God, if he had refused to fix his eyes on Jesus and bring Isaac back to God who gave him, then Isaac would have never known what he experienced in this life. He would have forfeited all of God's promises and plans for Isaac, or potentially could have. I don't want to be responsible for that. I look over at my children that God has blessed me with, 
And when I think about my life and the object of my faith that is set before me, I think about them. And I think about the choices they're going to make. And I want them to follow Christ because I was a good example. Not in spite of my example. I want them to love Jesus because of the example of myself and my, my wife. And the example that's set before him by leadership in this church. I want them to be able to look to me and say, you know what? If that's what a Christian is, I want to be one. You want to know what I want for Father's Day? I want to be that man. I'm not always that man. I'm not. But I want to be. I want to always be that man. But I can't do it by myself. i got to have Jesus to do that. I need him to do that. You need him to do that. I've told my daughters, when they think about their spouse, that when they think about who they're going to choose to spend the rest of their life with, I want them to look at their daddy and say, that's the bottom of the barrel that I'm willing to settle for. That's the least I'll settle for is my dad. Because they're worth so much more than I could even ever give them. I love that video of that father sitting on the bed with his daughter and she's putting her head on his shoulder and he's showing her how a man is supposed to treat a lady. Men, God's calling us to something great. I'm going to challenge you to something this morning. I'm going to challenge you to step up to the plate. For some of you, the challenge will take a new daddy home to the house this afternoon. Because you'll give your heart to Jesus for the very first time. For others, it's just making some adjustments. Writing the course. And getting some things straight and Maybe even looking into the eyes of your children and your wife and saying, you know what? I'm sorry. I blew it. I shouldn't have done that and I did it. And daddy apologizes. For some of you, you may say, well, I'd love to write a relationship with my father, but I don't have him here anymore. The beautiful thing is you have your heavenly father and a relationship with him. That maybe if you've never entered into one, you can enter into today for the very first time. And no love from a father, maybe like you've never known before. I pray whatever your situation is this morning, that you'll answer that call. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, to your feet.
and dads all around the worship auditorium, aspiring fathers all around the worship auditorium, if your desire, if your goal is to be that daddy, to lead in such a way that when your children look at you, they say, man, if that's a mirror, if he's a reflection of Christ, I want to be that guy. If that's what you aspire to, because I'm telling you, that's what I aspire to. I ain't got there yet, but that's what I aspire to, to reflect Jesus in the way that I love my kids, in the way that I speak to them, in the way that I protect them, in everything that I do for them. And your children may be grown and out of the house, but if that's your desire, I want you right now to step out and fill this altar. Matter of fact, I'd like for everybody, would you please, let's just come and close right here at the altar today.